to over the head with our opinion and we listen to yours the new face of talk radio voice america women's radio network welcome to the katherine zox show this informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot here's your host katherine zox your social worker with the microphone I'm Catherine Zox. Good morning, your social worker with the microphone. How are you this morning? You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com and VoiceAmerica.com Women. Also, the Health and Wellness Channel and Voice America. I think you can hear me three times a week. You can hear the show three times if you want to. Joining me this morning is my co-host, Lauren Deller. Lauren, how are you this morning? Good morning, Catherine. I'm very well. How are you? I hope you're better than I am. Lauren is my business coach and president of Big Fish Nation, a 12-month entrepreneurial program, which you can take in the comfort of your own home or office, and you can log on to Lauren's new website if you want to, which I do. It's great. It's coming along. I love it, Lauren. You've got a great website. Thank you. We're updating all the time. We have lots happening behind the scenes at the moment. Terrific. Somebody told me you're, you're nobody today unless you have a website. You have to have a website. <laughs> I have a partial website, so I'm sort of half a person, half a person. I guess. Yeah, exactly. But Anyway, yeah, um, we have some great, great guests this morning, and um, Dr. Joanne Manson, who's the author of Hot Flashes, Hormones, and Your Health, is one of them. Um, I said to Ruben, which is before we started the show, my board op, he's, he knows more about hot flashes and hormones than any other man I know after <laughs> listening to my show. And also joining us this morning first is Christina Page. She's author of How the Pro-Choice Movement Saved America. Freedom, Politics, and the War on Sex, and she's a spokesperson also for birthcontrolwatch.org, and she consults with many uh, national pro-choice groups. Her policy proposals have been adopted by Mayor Michael Bloomberg here in New York and the New Jersey legislature, and even the more glamorous side of her career, uh, Christina has worked in the editorial departments of Glamour and Ms. Magazines. So... uh, how the pro-choice movement saved America, Freedom, Politics, and the War on Sex is described as the first book to address the positive transformation our society has undergone because of our ability to plan when and with and if to have children. And I think they're in the process, they, of trying to take that away from us. So uh, that's what we want to talk to Christina about. How are you this morning, Christina? Welcome to the I'm show. I'm good. Thank you, Catherine. And I can hear you real well on your cell phone. We were yeah. We I know. I'm, I'm in between homes. Right? We sold our apartment. We're moving into a new one. And I, this is my lifeline to the world. So I'm, well, it I'm sounds pretty good. good the uh, reception's working. Yeah. Well, like I said before, you know, we were talking earlier before the show, just don't move because, you know, we, <laughs> <laughs> since we don't have that landline phone. But anyway, Lauren, Christina. Yeah. And uh, how the pro-choice movement has saved America. Let's talk about that it, because um, the pro-life, as you describe in your book, the pro-life movement uh, has a far-reaching and dangerous agenda, and uh, you talk about that obviously in the book also. And that's pretty frightening stuff. And for me, I, I, you know, I've been through all of this. I was there in the '60s in college, and I can't believe it. It seems to me all of this uh, anti-choice stuff is happening all over again, and it's very serious. It absolutely is, and, you know, I mean, I think as somebody who's witnessed it happen, um, you know, or at least uh, the dismantling of that agenda back in the 60s, uh, you, I'm sure having read the book, can recognize how very different it is today, the anti-abortion movement's agenda. It's 
really, um, you know, one of the things that I, I hope I uh, show in the book is that it's not really about abortion, and really it's never been about abortion. Um, if it were, then uh, you would think that the right to life movement would be sending staffers to countries that have, you know, achieved the lowest abortion rates in the world. Um, and, but why, uh, Christina, you know, do they want us to think it's about abortion? Because you're right. It's always, right. you're either, uh, you know, you're pro-life, uh, you're anti-abortion, and there must be a reason why they couch it in the, I guess, in the philosophy that it's all about abortion. Right. Well, you know, I think what it is is it's, you know, a great rallying cry. It, it mobilizes people. It's emotional. Um, you know, when when you get into the, the real details of their argument, though, they're never talking about preventing abortion. Um, certainly all of the tactics that they uh, employ have not only don't reduce the abortion rate, but we find increases the abortion rate. Everywhere on earth that we go where the uh, right-to-life movement is firmly in power, um, we see the highest abortion rates in the world, and everywhere on earth we go where the pro-choice movement is firmly in power, we have the lowest abortion rates in the world. So why is Americans, that? What, what, well, the reason why is because, you know, the pro-choice movement has a, uh, a very pragmatic view on, you know, protecting people and allowing them to live the lifestyles they choose. Um, we, you know, if it were not for the pro-choice movement, birth control would not exist. Um, Matt Margaret Sanger was, you know, the mother of the modern birth control movement and, and parenthood, and she, um, you know, financed all of these efforts to invent birth control. This would not have happened uh, with medicine um, left to its own devices. The pro-choice movement um, has furnished Americans with the ability to plan their family, to enjoy sex, and, and safely. Um, this is deeply, deeply offensive to this very religious fundamentalist movement that that has basically taken over the banner um, of pro-life and anti-abortion. But when we get into the details, and this is the most important part, what we find is it's very paradoxical. It's very counterintuitive. The, the pro-choice movement is doing a much better job at what the American public views as pro-life goals than the pro-life movement is. Yes. Which is what you point out in the book, because the 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 the, um, the pro so-called pro-life the battle. I mean, they they really are. I think the underlying message is that they are anti-women, anti-family, and anti-American, and really don't want women to have any power. I and 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 that seems to be the underlying agenda, at least to me. Yeah, it does. I mean, I I would broaden it. I I think that they're just deeply offended by the way in which the average American is living. Um, the you know the average American has sex once a week. That's you know that's what the polls show. And, the and they probably American... lie about that. <laughs> that's probably not even true. <laughs> you know, that. I mean, the curve probably balances out. There are probably people over-reporting, yeah. <laughs> and, but there's certainly people under-reporting, and and. Um, but the, the 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 truth is is that you know without family planning, family planning is a cornerstone of the American lifestyle. The and also it's led to such a dramatic change in the family, and this is really where we get down to kind of the brass tacks here, because this is and there's a chapter in my book where I talk about really how the pro-choice movement saved America, how it's impacted the family, how it's made the family stronger, 
made the family wealthier, made marriages more equal, made fathers more involved in their children's lives because there is much more balance in the family. Fathers today, 85% say they spent much more time in their, with their children than their fathers did, and they're they're more fulfilled and joy joy um, full you know full of joy as a result of it. Um, you know what's a better family value than valuing the family? Um, so what we see here, and but this is what we have. I mean, the this is deeply offensive. This this modern marriage of equals that that families are limited to the size that they can financially support. This you know Randall Terry, who is um, you know a, a, a very well known leader in the anti-abortion movement, says if you're using birth control, stop. Let the number of children you have be decided by God. That's not a value most Americans would you know live by um and rightfully christine you know we never you know it's interesting and i i mean this isn't the first time i've heard it but when you really you talk about the cost of having a child in this society and our today you know it's people ought to have you know usually not more than when they're uh, family planning, what is it, 2.5 children? Mm-hmm. Uh, and even then, families are struggling to support uh, 2.5 children and putting them through college and giving them all the advantages. And, um, you know, that somehow that, that point of view never seems, it doesn't come out right. enough. Right, and we, you know, I mean, the, the, the changes that the uh, family planning movement has, uh, you know, realized. Are happening so rapidly um, that really, as a nation, we haven't had time to even take stock. But the truth, what we, what we, when we do, I mean, Harvard researchers recently looked into the power of the pill, is what the article was called, and they found that family planning, the um, introduction of birth control, directly led to women going into college, to, you know, directly postponed the age of marriage and um, women um, achieving, um, you know, graduate and postgraduate degrees. Um, this has made families wealthier. We have reduced the, uh, the, the um, poverty rate by half in the last 35, 40 years. Um, you know, the, the, when we have uh, fathers who are the sole breadwinners of the family, they're five times more likely, those families, to live in poverty. Um, and the truth is, is that all of this has led to happier marriages. What we find today is, compared to the 50s marriage, that um, people today are twice as likely to report being very happily married. And the reason being is that, well, they're more likely to be married to equals, intellectual equals, but they're also more likely to be married to people they actually chose to be married to, not forced into a marriage based on, you know, unintended pregnancy. Um, so it has been a dramatic change, and the the country that the right to life movement would like to send us to is one that we've you know we've patently rejected, um, and we've experienced, and you know for the most part statistically it's not a pretty story what the fifties was for the average person in America. So reproductive freedom is essential to live the kind of lifestyle that that most of us are want to live in the United States today. It makes us healthier, wealthier, and wiser, better educated, all of those things. And uh, it's something that we, I, I think especially, of course, as women, that we have to, first of all, be aware of. And I think that one of the things, and we only have about another minute left, but I think some of the younger women, and that's why I think your book is so important, um, 
aren't really even aware of these issues. They sort of take all of this stuff for granted still and aren't really cognizant of what's going on in terms of trying to take away our reproductive freedom as women. I don't know if you agree with that or not. Oh, well, you know, most importantly, they have no recognition that the anti-abortion movement now is focusing on banning birth control. This is, you know, the next wave, and it's well underway. And, and, they're and I, want to talk about, I want to talk about that when we come back, because we do have to take a short break. We are talking to Christina Page. She's author of How the Pro-Choice Movement Saved America, Freedom, Politics, and the War on Sex. And you can purchase that at bookstores everywhere and online. I'm Catherine Zox with Lauren Beller, and you're listening to VoiceAmerica.com Women. Talk with you, not at you. We're Voice America, Women's Radio Network, the new face of talk radio. I have three children, and I've been raising my 16-year-old sister. Mary Gallagher and her family shared a two-bedroom apartment with eight people. Now Habitat for Humanity is helping her build a simple, decent, affordable home of her own. When we first found out that we were getting a Habitat home, it was like a dream. I kept saying, don't anybody wake me up. Not only is Mary helping build her own home, she'll buy it with a no-profit, zero-interest mortgage to keep it affordable. Habitat came out and built my home, and when Mary started building her house, I wanted to come out and give a hand. We're not just building Mary's house, we're building a neighborhood. There's several more to be built this year, and I look forward to working on each of their houses and seeing the joy of their face when they open the door to their brighter future. Habitat for Humanity. Building homes, changing lives. Support the work in your community. Visit Habitat.org. I feel very blessed. God has answered all of my prayers. We are home. Painful feet can affect our ability to enjoy the most basic activities in our daily lives, like walking your dog or cleaning your house, not to mention any physical activities you engage in. Thankfully, Dr. Larry Score brings to Voice America Health and Wellness Channel timely advice and resources to get you back on your feet and feeling great. Don't miss There's No Business Like Toe Business every Friday afternoon at 3 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Radio that talks with you, not at you. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. You're listening to The Catherine Zoff Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Welcome back to the Catherine Zox Show with my co-host Lauren Deller and my guest Christina Page, author of How the Pro-Choice Movement Saved America, Freedom, Politics, and the War on Sex. Uh, One of the things that Christina's book does, and we were talking about it just uh, before the break, is it really exposes the pro-life movement uh, and their dangerous agenda. And I do agree it is a dangerous agenda. In, uh, it's, it, uh, you'll find when you read the book it talks about the, the really frightening truths about the pro-life movement war against contraception, which is really scary. We're not just talking about abortion, but we are talking about contraception. We are talking about reproductive freedom, um, which is really essential for our life as we know it here in the United States, both as families and as women. So, um, you know, let's 
you know, let's talk about that, Christina. I mean, really, it's come to the point where how are they doing this? I mean, what's the process? Well, how are they trying to a, undermine our ability to, to uh, ha- get contraception? Right. Here and abroad, the domestic, our domestic anti-abortion movement is the only, um, you know, movement, uh, anti-contraception movement in the world, but it's very, it's, it's racking up some important successes. Um, you know, how they're doing this, it, it's kind of a multifaceted, you know, approach, as is everything that they do. It's, it's wholesale attack. Um, one of the, the more insidious um, approaches is to just lie, lie about the science, claim that most birth control methods are abortifacients, um, meaning that they, a birth control suddenly is an abortion method. Um, they're claiming that the birth control pill, that the patch, that the IUD, that Depo-Provera, that emergency contraception, all the same pharmacology, all hormonal methods of birth control, they claim are now abortion methods and are reclassifying that. Um, we, uh, you know, I, I think that if you, if there's ever any confusion as to whether Plan B, emergency contraception, the morning after pill, that's all the name for the same exact thing. This is the, you know, higher dosage of birth control pill. If there's, if you've ever wondered or thought that this was the same thing as the medical abortion pill or RU46, well then you have been um, reached by that side and by right, that so you've been misinformed. This is not accurate information. So what do you say to listeners, ladies who are listening now, and they didn't realize that? You know, they, it, they yeah. where do they go? Well, if, where, if, where if, can... you buy, if the argument is, is that the morning after pill is an abortion and so is the birth control pill and so is the IUD and so is... So one thing to know is that when there, there are pharmacists who are refusing women their prescriptions. They're more... More pharmacist refusals of regular birth control pill prescriptions today than emergency contraception. This is where this is heading. And if you, those pharmacists, whenever a woman challenges this, there is one movement, the anti-abortion movement, that steps up with its spin doctors and its lawyers and its resources and its talent to defend that pharmacist. They are encouraging pharmacists across the country to deny women their prescriptions for birth control. Um, and the truth, there is all, every single time the pro-choice movement, and by the way, there isn't any other contraceptive movement in this country. It's just the pro-choice movement. And for the most part, most of its work these days is making sure that contraception is available to people and more widely available. We, uh, you know, beginning in the 90s, we've been trying to get health insurance coverage mandated for birth control in the same way Viagra is. And every single attempt to do that has been met and challenged with by by, uh, by anti-abortion forces and pro-life groups throughout the, sta- the country. Um, so are they gaining a hold? Are we winning? The, what you know? Where do we stand in this? And I call it a battle because I think it is a battle. This is a battle, and you know they're winning. Um, I think that they're winning partially because the American public doesn't believe that something so wacky um, could be underway and gaining any any. Um, any uh, you know success? So it's right our complacency. Now, I, do you think it's our Christina? Is it our complacency? It's, it's our complacency. It's our willingness to say, hey, you know, they're just wacky. They're wacky, and 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 they've got the ear of the president. Um, they're wacky, and they're getting key appointments um, in the FDA. Um, we have to just because they sound crazy doesn't mean they don't have power, and that they're and if we ignore them, they're not going away. 
so one of the things is I think just to, you know, and I hoped in my book to really lay out the, the plan is what they have and how they're going about doing it, the confusion that they subject the American public to and, and how they kind of, you know, mask themselves with that and get so much done. But you know, one, one thing I just did is I, I had an op-ed published in the Baltimore Sun, which was called um, The Quiet Campaign Against Birth Control. And what it was, um, what it detailed is how now um, most of the GOP candidates for president are opposed to contraception. I mean, can you believe it? No, it's terrible. Can you believe it? Yeah. Um, the only the only one who does it takes a supportive position on contraception is Rudy Giuliani. Um, and by the way, you know he's also pro-choice. <laughs> um, the rest of them have made it very clear that they want to appease the anti-contraception, anti-abortion base. Um, and so, this is this we you know Birth Control Watch, this organization that I work for, is calling for people in America to start asking elected officials what their positions are about contraception. And this is, these are very simple questions to ask um, your elected official. Um, you can, uh, re- your listeners can go to um, birthcontrolwatch.org and find out those questions and how to reach, you know, their, their elected official to say, you know, let's get on the record with this stuff. Do you think also, Christina, and I've noticed this in the news and in the, in the, in the, um, uh, whether it's on television or newspapers, on the net, there's sort of a red herring out there that this all has to do with teenage pregnancies, you know, contraception, birth control, and that you are, if you are for birth control, then you're for teenage, they equate that with uh, teenage sex. Right. And sort of, and it's, it's, it's a real red herring because that, you know, uh, right. the majority of women, I mean, that, it's important, obviously, but we're talking about family planning, we're talking about women in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and even 50s, and I think that, you know, that's sort of one of the ploys, at least, that that I'm aware of. Well, you know, I mean, to me, it's sort of, let's think about it from a results-oriented perspective. You know, if you really do care about preventing teen sex and preventing teen pregnancy, well, then let's see what's working. If you go across the world, the countries that have the lowest teen pregnancy rates are the ones that have the greatest access to contraception and have thrown out abstinence only about 30 years ago. Sweden threw out all abstinence only education 30 years ago, and that precipitated a 70% decline in their teen pregnancy rate over the next 30 years. The country, the, the places in our country where teen pregnancy is the greatest are in the places that abstinence only is in the greatest. The South is five times more likely to use abstinence only in the schools than any other region in the country, and they also have the highest teen pregnancy rates, the highest STD rates, um, highest HIV uh, AIDS rates. So, you know, it, it, to me it seems like, you know, I, I sort of feel like if we're serious about this, and it certainly seems the amount of time spent arguing over it would indicate we are, then maybe we should start trying to take a results-oriented approach. Um, the 50s, like I mentioned before, you know, we've never seen teen pregnancy rates soar than when we were um, operating full anti-abortion, you know, um, anti-sex, anti-birth control agenda. So how do we get that information? I mean, this show today gets the information out there. That's part of it. That's part of it. And I think, you know, I mean, it's a, you've read the book. It's a pretty fast read, about two hours. It took a year to write, but two yeah. hours to read. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. But. Years and years to get it on paper, and, yeah, it took two days for everybody <laughs> yeah. to read it. <laughs> but, um, 
But I think that, you know, this was a book that was written for people who self-describe as pro-life, too. I mean, I, I had had an argument with my publisher and saying, like, look, look, you know, I mean, I, it's a provocative title, but, you know, I think we're going to turn off half of our readers because I wanted the subtitle to be a book for pro-life people because what I really do think is that what we have here is a, um, a, a fundamentalist religious movement masquerading as pro-life. Um, masquerading as interested in reducing abortions, but the truth is, is their agenda could not be further from that. Christina, do you think that this is a small number of people with a lot of power? Absolutely. No doubt about it. And they're the same people. They're the same people that were here in the 30s. They, I mean, 30 years, 40 years ago. They're the very same people. It's a very small, insular movement of Christian fundamentalists who believe that sex is solely for the purpose of procreation, um, and they're deeply out of step with the ma- most Americans, most pro-life Americans, um, you know, uh, their value system. And it's about time we just start holding them to their positions, outing them for what they're doing, showing that, you know, rather than sending their staffers over to study the places on earth that seem to have this solved, they're protesting outside of sterile pharmaceuticals because it manufactures a birth control pill. Well, you're doing this by obviously using forums such as this show, and I also want to mention that for those listeners, because uh, they are listening on the net, who are in the New York area, you are going to be here in the Albany area on October 4th at the Egg. That's and, right. Yeah, and you will be talking about your book, How the Pro-Choice Movement Saved America, Freedom, Politics, and the War on Sex. Read the book, uh, and if you are in uh, the New York area, it's October 4th, and you will be interviewed uh, by Deborah Onslow from WMHT, um, our national uh, public radio station, and the program begins at 6.15 p.m. Did I get it all in? You did. It's a benefit for Upper Hudson Planned Parenthood. Yes, I didn't get it all in. <laughs> That's very important. <laughs> yeah, and I look forward to it because I think I hopefully I will get there and see you there. You and one other thing before we say goodbye, you mentioned the website because you work work for um, birthcontrol.org. That website. It's, it's birth. Yeah, actually, birthcontrol.org is an anti-contraception website. Amazingly, um, so is so is ProChoice.com. But no, this is um, uh, called BirthControlWatch.org. And well, you have to go to both of them then, I think, don't you? Yeah, check it out. Yeah. You'll see you, you'll see exactly what I'm saying if you spend some time on BirthControl.org. How the anti-contraceptive movement is in full swing. But um, but BirthControlWatch.org is where we are, and we will. You know, you can read my blog. I blog, you know, quite regularly. And then there's the Seven Question Campaign where you can get involved um, and start holding elected officials um, to a position here. Terrific. Great having you on the show this morning. Thank, Thank you, you Catherine. Thank you so much. Christina Hope to see Page. You next week. Yes, I'll see you next week. I'm Catherine Zox with Lauren Beller, and we're going to take a short break, and when uh, we come back, we have Dr. Joanne Manson from Harvard Medical School, and she's author of Hot Flashes, Hormones, and Your Health. VoiceAmerica.com Women. Talk radio that informs, entertains, and enlightens you. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. 
Inner Health Through Homeopathy, hosted by Melissa Birch, CCH, with Dr. Tim Stryker. This show features a weekly discussion about homeopathy, a holistic approach to health care which treats ailments by bringing the entire body into balance. Homeopathy encompasses and examines the makeup of the entire person instead of focusing solely on a disease or ailment. The healing process involves physical, mental, and emotional changes which come from a wellness within. Homeopathic remedies go far beyond an alleviation of symptoms. They can restore harmony to the body and open paths to a higher level of awareness. Each week, Melissa Birch, CCH, explores a different health issue and individual healing processes with Tim Stryker, MD. Tune in every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for inner health through homeopathy. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh. There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. For the most current and up-to-date information and options in childbearing, family health, and parenting, tune in to Celeste Ranese's Timely Topics in Childbirth, broadcasting every Wednesday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. If you don't know your options, you don't have any. Finally, radio that has real depth. Voice America Radio Network. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Back, I'm Catherine Zox, and you're listening to Voice America, voiceamerica.com women, with my co-host, Lauren Beller. And joining us this morning in the second half hour of the show is Dr. Joanne Manson, MD. She's author of Hot Flashes, Hormones, and Your Health. She's professor of medicine and a professor of women's health at Harvard Medical School, and she's also been the lead investigator on two of the most influential studies of women's health ever conducted. And uh, for most of us, we know those studies. I know I'm very familiar with them, the Women's Health Initiative and the Harvard Nurses Health Study, and she is recognized as one of the world's leading authorities on women's health. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning. Nice to have you on the show this morning, Doctor. How are you? Thank you, Catherine. It's great to be here. Yes. Well, you are the expert, and uh, you have two co-hosts that sort of, e- I think, at either end of the menopausal scale. Lauren and I are either end of the baby boomer <laughs> scale. <laughs> Am I right, Lauren? That's exactly right. Yes. She just had a baby, and I have my three babies are in their late twenties and have gone through this whole process of menopause. So um, we have a lot of listeners sort of sitting on the edge of their seats waiting to hear what you have to say because there's so much controversy about what to do and hormone therapy and should you take it or shouldn't you take it. And um, I learned something from your book. We don't call it HRT anymore. We call it 
menopausal hormone therapy, which is kind of different than HRT? Right. We got rid of the word replacement because it's not really a physiological replacement of the hormones that women naturally make. And we don't want women to think that they're going to be going back to where they were in the premenopausal years in terms of the hormone levels. That's not really the purpose. It's more for the purpose of treating symptoms. So I, I was inspired to write the book because women do need reliable information about menopause and the treatment options out there for hot flashes, night sweats, and other menopausal symptoms. And as you say, there is a lot of controversy and a lot of confusion. Yeah, okay, so let's go through, I think, some of the, as you say, there's night sweats, the hot flashes, also that memory lapse thing that sort of begins to happen. You kind of feel like maybe you're losing your mind. Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, vaginal dryness, concerns about sexuality, mood swings, there are a lot of things that happen perimenopausal and during, the menopause, and during menopause that can be pretty scary stuff to a lot of women. Absolutely. Not all of them are clearly linked to reduced estrogen levels. Some of them may be related to aging, but th- there are treatments for many of these symptoms. Well, I, uh, well, I'm glad you clar- clarified that because I think that uh, one of the things that I thought that that was all related to menopause, and I, and and it's what you're saying that's not necessarily true. That's part of the natural aging process. Yes, especially some of the memory changes, thought processes. Um, men are experiencing that as, as well at similar ages, so it isn't clearly linked to uh, changes in hormone levels. Doctor, in terms of statistics, how many women actually? need menopausal hormone therapy? I mean, are we talking, yeah. That's a great question. And in fact, although maybe three-quarters of women will have some hot flashes and night sweats, only about 20% of women will have symptoms severe enough to actually affect sleep and impair quality of life. And those are the women who would be considered appropriate candidates for estrogen or estrogen combined with progestin. I found that about 10 years ago, going through this process, and and, um, maybe it was just my own experience, but, you know, talking to girlfriends and women talk, that's one thing we do do, and relatives going through menopause, doctors, it seemed to me, gynecologists seemed to sort of recommend HRT across the board, just, you know, without really, and what you talk about in the book, you really have to examine your own personal, psychological, physiological condition and make an informed decision about whether or not to go, you know, to take hormone therapy or not. But it seemed to me, you know, there was kind of this trend for just, you know, you're going through menopause, take the pill. Absolutely. And probably the pendulum had swung too far in that direction of estrogen being considered an elixir of youth and a lot of women using it, even if they didn't have symptoms, just to try to prevent heart disease and stroke and cognitive decline, you know, dementia and all of those chronic diseases of aging. And in fact, we don't think that estrogen should be used for that purpose and especially in women who are more than a decade past the onset of menopause, the risks are likely to outweigh the benefits if women do not have menopausal symptoms, if they're not getting uh, quality of life benefits from the hormone therapy, and if they're already um, at least a decade past uh, the beginning of menopause. Yeah, an important point you, uh, in the book, the, 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 um, the farther away you are, or the farther out, I guess, from menopause, the more dangerous it is to take the medication. Better to do it as you're going through menopause initially if you need it. 
Exactly. The the evidence is really mounting that a woman's age and the amount of time since she began menopause will influence her health outcomes on estrogen, particularly her risk of heart disease. So we believe now that for most recently menopausal women, particularly women who are within about five years of starting menopause, if they have menopausal symptoms that are affecting their quality of life, the benefits of hormone therapy are likely to outweigh the risk. However, for women who are in their 60s and 70s and more than a decade past onset of menopause, it is quite likely that the risks of hormone therapy will outweigh the benefits if they are first starting hormone therapy at that time. So are those women who should avoid the therapy at all costs? The 60s and 70s, those women? It it would not be a time to begin taking it. Now, another question is, if you begin hormones around the time of menopause or within five years, and then you continue to have hot flashes, night sweats, other symptoms, and you get into your 60s and 70s, can you continue to take these hormones? And that's really the $64,000 question because there there aren't good clinical trial, you know, evidence um, to answer that question. Most doctors would say you have to carefully balance the the different issues. How severe are the symptoms? If the woman is in good health, low cardiovascular risk and very high risk of osteoporosis, some doctors may actually recommend continuing hormones even longer than the usual recommendation to try to avoid longer than five years of treatment. So what happens, doctor, for those women who can't, uh, who are not good candidates for hormone therapy or just prefer not to, they want to take a different route, what can they do besides what are the alternatives from taking menopausal hormone therapy? What else can we do to get rid of, relieve us of some of these unwanted symptoms? Well, there are many lifestyle modifications that can be effective, especially for women who have milder symptoms, mild to moderate symptoms. And even women who start out with severe symptoms may want to try these first before going the hormone therapy route. But um, one thing that you can do is just common sense measures, such as wearing layered clothing and strip off layers when it gets hot, lowering thermostats, using portable fans or having a fan in your office at home. Um, There is something called paste respiration where you really try to be conscious of your breathing and take in very slow breaths, in, you know, inspire and expire very slowly when you feel a hot flash coming on. That has been shown in some studies to be effective. There are um, dietary changes such as decreasing spicy foods, caffeine, alcohol. Many women do see those foods as triggers, especially um, hot coffee um, and, you know, more than one drink of alcohol will in, in, in many cases bring on these symptoms. Um, increasing soy, having soy milk, soy nuts, tofu, that can be helpful. Um, there are some over-the-counter uh, plant-based estrogen products or phytoestrogens, black cohosh and others. You can try those. However, they're not really effective for the, the more severe symptoms. You know, women who are having hot flashes eight to ten times a day and are waking up three or four times during the night and are feeling really fatigued, 
because of how these symptoms are affecting their sleep um, and are, are not able to function optimally, those women are not likely to get, um, you know, substantial benefit from soy alone. Dr. Manson, is there, a, is there a connection, a genetic connection between how your mother went through menopause and how you, the daughter, is going to go through menopause? If your mother will talk about it. I think women of past generations didn't talk about menopause. They sort of right. suffered in silence. But if one has that information or you can talk to your mother or you know what the process was, is there a connection? There does appear to be an association, um, a family-related, probably genetic a factor in terms of the age at which women go through menopause and the severity of the symptoms that they're going to have. And it's good that women are now talking to each other and talking, mothers and daughters talking to each other. So I think you can learn a lot from talking to your mother, but it's no guarantee you're going to have exactly the same experience just as with any other outcome. You talk about in the book your health care provider. You know, you should work effectively with your health care provider to manage the transition. That's probably one of the most difficult things to do. Uh, in 15 minutes when you walk in for your appointment and you want to get it all out there, it's almost impossible. How do you do that? Well, I always believe very strongly that information is power and that it is important for women to arm themselves with information about these issues so that they can go in to their doctor and talk about what they would like to be considered. If after reading this book or after looking into the information that is out there in in terms of um, menopause and the treatment options and the benefits and risks of hormone therapy and what the recent clinical trials have shown, shown us, if a woman feels that this is really the right treatment for her or if she feels it's the wrong treatment for her, it is very important for her to let her doctor know, you know, what her thinking is and to review with her doctor her health, her her risk factors and her health status because these are all very important factors in making the decision. I personally believe that a woman's preference for one therapy or another is one of the most important factors in the decision-making process. What about the, you know, we talk a lot about the physiology or the, the, the physical aspects or, you know, being a candidate for, for, um, for the therapy. What about the psychological? How does that come into play? Um, in, in terms of, like, mood changes, and, is that what you mean? Or, uh, or in, in terms of um, the factors that would influence whether or not a woman... W- w- I'm, I'm sorry, if you could just clarify. Yeah, well, the benefits. Actually, the benefits is like taking, let's say, menopausal hormone therapy. Um, does your attitude towards it have anything to do with it? You know, your the 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 it, does that have any effect on the outcome or the success of 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 the therapy? Well, first, if a woman is really, really concerned about her risk of breast cancer and she is going to be very anxious about the risk of breast cancer because of a strong family history um, or personal risk factors for breast cancer, I really would not recommend hormone therapy. I think that there's there's no convincing evidence that um, estrogen increases the risk of breast cancer with short-term use and probably lower doses will have will pose even less risk for women. 
However, many women are so concerned about breast cancer risk that they are never going to be comfortable taking hormones, and that is okay. They should avoid hormone therapy. Yes, that was my question, and that was the answer because I had a personal experience with that, which I do want to share with you when we come back after the break. Hot flashes, hormones, and your health. Dr. Joanne E. Manson from Harvard Medical School. I'm Catherine Zox with my co-host, Lauren Beller, on Voice America Women, voiceamericawomen.com. I'm your social worker with a microphone. We'll be back in a minute. Talking about what you care about. News, relationships, health, finances. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Tired of those fad diets and exercise routines that you don't stick with? Want to find a better way to incinerate fat and energize your life without those worthless pills or gimmicks? Then tune in every Friday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific to Fitness Truth with host Zach Hunt and A.G. Roberts. Achieve your weight loss and fitness goals and maintain them for the rest of your life. The rest of your life. That's Fitness Truth, Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. When I have an asthma attack, I feel scared. It's like tiny nails in the air poke my lungs. I start to cough. Did you know your child's asthma attacks can be triggered by things like shower curtains, a blanket, even a teddy bear? I feel like I'm choking. And there are many other things in your home and your child's classroom you may not know about. For the latest information, call 1-866-NO-ATTACKS. Sometimes I... My parents have to take me to the hospital. Help prevent your child's asthma attacks and avoid the emergency room. Call toll-free 1-866-NO-ATTACKS. That's 1-866-662-8822. Or visit www.noattacks.org. I don't want to feel like a fish with no water. Brought to you by the EPA and the Ad Council. Let's face it, hormones happen. Whether you're a male or female, hormones have an impact on your overall well-being. Dr. Hart brings to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel timely topics that answer your lifelong questions about hormones in men, women, and teens. Tune in to Optimal Wellness every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Optimal Wellness. Live life well. Live life long. Live life to the fullest. We talk with you, not at you. We're Voice America, Women's Radio Network, the new face of talk radio. You're listening to The Catherine Zopp Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. You're listening to the Catherine Zock Show. Welcome back. I'm uh, talking to Dr. Joanne E. Manson from Harvard Medical School, and she's author of Hot Flashes, Hormones, and Your Health. And uh, my co-host joining me is Lauren Bella this morning on VoiceAmerica.com, Voice America 
women. And before we took the break, Doctor, I was asking you about the sort of the psychological impact of, of uh, taking this hormone therapy. You know, does that affect how if the treatment, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. But uh, you touched on something because, uh, and I'll give my own experience with this, but when I was going through menopause and went to my doctor, she sort of automatically said, well, you need to go on HRT. That's you know, there's, there's no question, and really didn't sit down and talk to me about my feelings about it and my fears of they have a lot of heart disease in the family. Was re- I was very concerned that you know I, I may get a blood clot, or she sort of dismissed me and said this is just what you have to do. And we actually got into a big battle, and I ended up not going back to her. Uh, but it was sort of this is what the so I always felt that it was kind of this is the wrap now and and uh, there was really no room for my input and um, obviously in that kind of a situation I would assume you have to go to another healthcare professional change doctors I I would agree <laughs> I and I do think that things have changed a lot um, just in the last five years since the Women's Health Initiative results were reported in 2002 the pendulum has, has swung from one extreme to the other so Previously, it was almost, you know, common practice, the routine practice to start women on hormone therapy without much discussion. Now, many women are finding they cannot find a doctor who will give them hormones, no matter how severe their symptoms are, no matter how young and recently menopausal they are, and no matter how low their risk of cardiovascular disease and other um, adverse health outcomes. So we're doing this all or nothing kind of thing. We, yes. Yeah. Really, there's like a, it seems to be this one size fits all. We're either going to give all women hormones, or we're not going to give hormones to anyone, and it's not appropriate. What What is best for women is to consider um, the woman's the severity of the symptoms, the woman's personal risk factor status, and the woman's preference, and to take into account all these fa- factors in making the best decision for each patient. Which is what you do in the book, and which is interesting because you do you help women to assess what their risk factors are for stroke and heart disease, um, which I found very interesting. Even you have a your body mass index, your weight, all of those kinds of things um, have something to do with, with risk in terms of taking uh, hormone. I keep wanting to say hormone replacement therapy, but hormone therapy. So you really do have, it's a very individual kind of choice. Yes, it is. And what, and Dr. Manson, what about uh, the uh, risk for osteoporosis? Does it help to prevent osteoporosis? There is no question that estrogen, either alone or in combination with progestin, is effective for preventing osteoporosis and fracture. It reduced the risk by about one-third, about 34% to 33 to 34% reduction in both of the Women's Health Initiative trials, estrogen alone and estrogen plus progestin. However, we don't now recommend that women take hormone therapy for the express purpose of preventing osteoporosis if they don't have other reasons to take hormone therapy. And the reason for that is that in order to prevent fractures, you would really have to be on these hormones for quite a long time. Women tend to be at low risk of fracture, like hip fracture, osteoporotic fracture in their 50s or early 60s. The risk tends to rise very dramatically in the 70s, in women's 70s or even into her 80s. So to get that sustained bone protection, you're talking about very long-term 
hormone therapy, and that could increase a woman's risk of breast cancer, especially when it's such a long duration. So we recommend calcium and vitamin D um, beginning at, at the start of menopause, if not even earlier, you know, being sure that you're getting enough dietary calcium and, and vitamin D dairy products, other um, food products that have um, the calcium and D. And if you don't get enough from food, to take the supplement, at least 1,200 milligrams of calcium. And, and now we recommend 600 to 800 I, I use of vitamin D. We also think that exercise and strength training, resistance training, is critically important for protecting the bones. And then having um, the bone density tests, these DEXA scans, beginning at age 65 or earlier in women who have risk factors, family history, or very lean, um, or smokers, and you look at the bone density, and then there are other medications that can be used. There's the Foxinax, the Actinil, there's... Um, there's also a medication called Reloxacine or Avista, which uh, can be, protect the bones and has been linked to a lower risk of breast cancer. So that might be an option for women, especially women who are already into their um, 60s and 70s. So, if Dr. They, Manson, we don't want to use it to prevent osteoporosis. There are other there are other things that we can do besides other things we can do. Yes, that are less toxic is, is what I hear you say. Exactly. What would be I mean in terms? I heard you say that if you take uh, menopausal hormone therapy for a long period of time, that in itself can be dangerous. What is there a time period where it's not or where it's less risky, four years, five years? Um, we recommend um, using these hormones for less than five years, if at all possible. The vast majority of women will be able to discontinue within five years, and that should pose the minimal risk of breast cancer. Now, we also recommend using the lowest effective dose. We're now using doses that are only one-half, maybe even one-third in many cases, the doses that were used five to ten years ago. So the mantra is lowest effective dose for the shortest duration of time necessary only to treat the symptoms of menopause, the hot flashes, the night sweats, um, vaginal dryness could be treated with topical estrogen, vaginal estrogen. If that's the only symptom, you may not need a systemic form of estrogen. So if you um, can, do these things on an individual basis. Treat the symptoms individually if possible, if you only have one or two symptoms, as you say, like vaginal dryness right. for one. With, with the vaginal symptoms, you, you don't need the systemic hormone therapy. Also, patches can be used, the transdermal products, patches, gels, are believed less likely to increase the risk of blood clots, blood clots in the legs that could travel to um, the lungs because they don't go directly to the liver. The estrogen doesn't go directly to the liver and increase clotting factor production. I had a friend, and I always like to bring in these sort of case histories to make it real, who was on hormone replacement therapy for 12 years, developed breast cancer, and when she went to her primary care physician, the answer was, well, you shouldn't have been on it for 12 years. And but it was you know kind of like blaming the victim in a way. Well, how right. did she know? Exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. And this was quite a few years ago. And as you say, things have changed. You have more information. I mean, this study with the Harvard Nurses Health Study, 120,000 nurses you've studied over three decades. So that's a lot of new information. Right. And in the past five years, we have a tremendous amount of information from the clinical trials, the Women's Health Initiative, Estrogen Plus Progestin Trial, Estrogen Alone Trial 
well. And that study provided very conclusive evidence that for women in their 60s and 70s who are on average more than 10 years since the onset of menopause, the risks of hormone therapy are likely to outweigh the benefits if they are first starting hormone therapy at that time. Is there a website that we can go to, yours and others, for more information? I want everyone to know they can purchase your book, Bookstores Everywhere Online, Hot Flashes, Hormones, and Your Health, Dr. Joe Ann E. Manson. Uh, but give us a website that we can go to as well. Well, you can you can learn a lot about the Women's Health Initiative from um, whiscience.org. Um, that will give you many of the findings from the Women's Health Initiative. And also Amazon.com will have the information about the book, Hot Flashes, Hormones in Your Health. And um, also there's the Harvard Health Publications uh, website that has more information about the book. A terrific book, a very, very informative and also an easy read, lay public, we can understand it, um, lots of good information, hot flashes, hormones, and your health. So thank you so much, Doctor, for being on the show this morning. Oh, thank you. It's great being here. Great to have you. Uh, you are listening to Lauren Beller and Catherine Zox. How are you, Lauren? I hope you got information because now you're prepared, far more prepared than my group of women were when they went through menopause. <laughs> or at least you should be. I have a lot of it, more than I think most women, you know, in the last 20, 30, 40 years ever had. So exactly. We're, we're in good shape. Yeah, so there's no excuse. No excuse. <laughs> no excuse. You can sail through menopause. Anyway, we have to say goodbye. It is... Uh, Catherine Zox and Lauren Beller saying goodbye on voiceamerica.com, Voice America Women. It's Thursday morning. Have a great day, and we'll see you next week. 